I'm going to ask uh, Craig from the, the Karen Church here in Camor to come in uh, and preach for us. He's been with us before, uh, but uh, yeah, open up the word for us, brother. Um, it is quite an unusual situation, and so uh, whoever you are and whatever room and space you're in, uh, welcome. Uh, it's good to be with you, even, even in this digital platform. And so uh, what I want to do this morning is just start, uh, start off by thinking about watershed moments, this terminology, a, a watershed moment, it's, it's really a moment in which all reality changes. A moment in which there's a clear delineation of what life was like before and then what life is like after those moments. These moments create uh, new types of worlds. And the question that humans are faced with in, in a new type of world ushered in by watershed moments is how now shall I live? How now shall I live? The human task in these moments is to find our bearing in a new world, find the North Star, so to speak, in an in a uncharted world. So I want you to begin our time together just by imagining one of these moments in your life. Imagine a time or a season of life where there was a clear delineation of what it looked like before and then what it looked like after. And I want you to recall, the, maybe you're right in the middle of one of these moments and it's easy to recall, but recall the emotions that were unearthed in your experience. What did it feel like? What was happening in your mind, in your heart, in your soul? And then I want you to think about how did you navigate through that experience? What, what gave your life some type of compass to, to direct your decisions and your actions? For me, the easiest one to think through is parenting. And, and I'm sure a lot of you listening are parents. Maybe your child, if it's anything like mine, is running around distracting you from the very words I'm saying. Um, but parenting is most certainly a watershed moment our little girl is 20 months old. Her name's Blythe. And when we brought her home, it was like landing on another planet, you know, where gravity and thermodynamics don't even work anymore, it felt like. And, and in many ways, it's still that way. She's progressing into toddlerhood. And like with each new stage, it feels like a new watershed moment where you're trying to wrestle with as parents. You know, how now shall we live? Now that she can talk, how now will we live? Now that she likes to lay on her belly and throw temper tantrums in the middle of the floor. How now shall we live, you know? Um, one of the things she's liking to do right now is little pre-bedtime dance parties, you know, on our bed. Well, how now shall we live? Well, we give her a maraca and we turn on our Spotify music and we dance until she's tired enough to go to bed. Um, but your season of life, your watershed moment not, might not be parenting. You know, it might be a new landscape, a new town, a new community. It might be a new job or a new relationship. But I'm assuming perhaps for many of us, the watershed moment right before us is a lack of new things. It's actually, it, it's actually living in an overly familiar world 
surrounded by our friends and or our roommates and our family inside our familiar houses where we cannot escape, this might be the new reality you're living in. It might be for you working from home, or it might be for the first time in your life not working. It might be you as an extrovert learning to be by yourself for maybe the first time in, in, in the life that you've created. It might be you as an introvert actually longing to feel the touch and presence of another person. Because this COVID-19 reality that, that we're living in, this world is experiencing a watershed moment for our individual and our collective histories. It's creating a new type of world. And, and it is normal and it is essential for us, especially as as people of Jesus, to wrestle with the question, how do we now live? How do we now live in this new type of world that is being created? What is going to be our true north? What is going to direct our actions and our decision-making in a world that we're not overly sure of what it's going to look like or what it is going to look like even tomorrow or by the end of today? And so I think we can find our answer to these questions by looking at what happens with the disciples and Jesus after his resurrection. And we're going to be reading uh, from the story that Luke gives us in chapter 24. So last week we talked about Easter, but this is his appearances to the disciples after his resurrection. And so I'll begin by reading Uh, verse 36 in Luke chapter 24, and I'll read through verse 49. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So this is God's word to us uh, this morning, and and it's just a little short story, but to understand what is happening in this story, we have to remind ourselves of what has just happened. Jesus is this man who all these This group of common people are following to Jerusalem all the way from their home in Galilee. 
and they're following him to Jerusalem because they assumed that when he arrived into Jerusalem, he, he would be overthrowing Rome. He would be setting up his kingdom. And instead of an overthrow when he arrives in Jerusalem, there is actually a victimization at the hands of the Roman government. Jesus is executed. He is buried. The disciples, if you read at the beginning of chapter 24 in Luke, they are in despair. Their hopes are totally vanished. They even feared for their own lives. And then Jesus actually resurrects from the dead. This is what we celebrate on Easter. He resurrects from the dead and he proves that he is king over every power, including the power that no human can escape, which is death itself. And by his resurrection, Jesus actually initiates what he calls the kingdom of God. And he talks about what the kingdom looks like early in the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 4, it's going to be a new made world where grace and beauty and love will be our total experience and all the brokenness and hurt and pain and death of this old world will be put, to way, put away. And this is what had just happened right before the story that we read. And let's just agree that if, if Jesus really raised from the dead, that must surely be a watershed moment in history. That must surely be a time in which what came before it and what comes after it is going to be vastly different. A moment like resurrection should and does create a different type of world. G.K. Chesterton wrote in his work, The Everlasting Man, that on the third day, the friends of Christ coming at daybreak to the place found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. And in varying ways, they realized the new wonder. The world had died in the night. What they were looking at was the first day of a new creation. And in the semblance of a gardener, God walked again in the garden, not in the cool of the evening, but of the dawn. This is the watershed moment that gives context to our story today. The dawn of a new world had arrived. And with this morning, we see a movement in the hearts of the disciples from confusion and fear to clarity and expectation. And this movement that happens in their hearts is only possible by Jesus coming into their world as the resurrected king and giving them a a north star, a bearing in an uncharted world, in a new made world that resurrection was creating. So notice just a story of confusion and fear at the beginning. This company of disciples, they don't know what the fallout is going to be from an empty grave and a risen Savior King. John says in his gospel, they were hidden in their house with the doors locked in fear. Fear because they still doubted in many ways that Jesus had really risen from the dead. Fear of the authorities because we find out from other authors that there are rumors circulating that the disciples had stolen the body. Fear of their own shame and guilt because they had abandoned their friend and teacher when he was arrested. Fear and confusion about what to do and what will become of them if Jesus really is resurrected from the grave. 
the resurrection, even though it is impossibly good news. It did not immediately result in peace and stillness and hope in the hearts of the disciples. Because the resurrection created a new world with new possibilities. And it was a watershed moment, just like the one we are facing, that forces the disciples to ask the question, how now shall we live? In this new world, how now shall we live? And here's the deal. When we ask that question, it ushers in a lot of space for confusion and fear to enter in. It's a question that if we ask it, and we're faithful to ask it, it gives space for a lot of voices to enter in. A lot of people have an opinion about how we should answer that question. And, and a lot of noise results from that. Think about it for a second. In this COVID-19 reality, if we ask the question, how now shall we live? How many people around you are willing to answer that for you? If you go on social media, how many people are emboldened to give their opinion about how now shall we live? Our friends, our culture, media, podcast, any, anything we allow ourselves to listen to right now is telling us how we shall now live. And perhaps you're feeling the tension of that. You're feeling inundated with, with voices desperately trying to answer this question for you. And in the midst of all that noise, my question to you is, what is going to be your true north in this new world? What is going to provide bearing for all of your life? In the midst of all those voices, some of them are good voices. I'm not saying not to listen to these voices, but what is going to be the thing that helps you discern your work in this new world or your social network or the life of your household? As you listen to all these voices, what is the North Star in your discerning process? in the actions that you take. I submit to you that the same bearing that Jesus gives his disciples after the watershed moment of the resurrection echoes to us. He comes to his friends in the dawn of a new world and he does two things that provide bearing for them. And we can take these two things as bearing in our new world as well. The first thing he does is he affirms his resurrection. He comes to them and he offers his body to be examined. He, he eats to show that he is a living human again. He is reaffirming their understanding that he truly is the king over all the earth. And his resurrection really did inaugurate a different type of world with different types of possibilities. His affirmation of his living body is proof that life and beauty and renewal can come out of dead, broken, ugly things. I, I'm reminded there's a song by Porter's Gate, and I would encourage you to go and listen to it, and it's called Wood and Nails. And there's a line in it that talks about how we will take our wooden coffins and Jesus will turn them into flower beds. I love that picture. That this thing that represents death and brokenness will one day be the seed of life and beauty. 
This is what Jesus' affirmation to his disciples imagined for them. God had initiated a new creative act, just like he did at the beginning in Genesis. In the beginning, he created a world through his word, and now God is creating a new creation through the resurrected word, which is our King Jesus. And then after he reaffirms his resurrection, which is his first way of giving bearing in the world, he, he offers a commission to his disciples. He offers them work in this new world, a north star to follow in this new creation that God is forming. And it's this, to proclaim that repentance and forgiveness are possible in God's new world through Jesus. Repentance is the idea that we can have new life, a new way of life. And forgiveness, this idea that our shame and our brokenness and hurt and guilt and all of that is dispelled. These are the new possibilities in this new world, this resurrection world. And in this world, Jesus Jesus tells his disciples to go and be witnesses of these things. Now, I just want to stop for a second and not move too quickly over this term witness because there's a lot of baggage in this term. There's baggage for Christians. Maybe you've, you've grown up around this term and, and all this term brings to mind for you is some re- we have to share some religious formula in order to get somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus to say the exact right phrase of words in order for them to believe in Jesus. And it brings about a lot of feeling of shame and guilt because we don't know how to do that or we're scared to do that. So it has baggage for us who follow Jesus. It also has baggage if you're listening and you don't follow Jesus. I'm, you know, you may hear this term and cringe a little bit. And your baggage is probably connected to the idea that somebody has witnessed to you and you've heard the religious formula. You've been tried to, someone has tried to uh, get you to say whatever incantation you need to say to follow Jesus and you're sick and tired of it. And so let's not move too quickly from this term because we do a great disservice to the work that Jesus gives to his disciples when we define it in this way. To be a witness is simply to reveal reality. That's all that means. Think about a witness in a court. They come in to share the story of what the reality that they saw unfold. Or to be a witness of a spectacle. Maybe you're a sports fan. You know, I was looking forward to witnessing the first uh, rock climbing competition in the Olympics this summer. Obviously, we're not going to be a witness of those things in 2020. But anyway, despite that, uh, to be a witness of a spectacle is to share in the emotion and the experience and the reality of that event and then to tell other people about it. And this is the work that Jesus commissions his disciples to do. Go be these type of witnesses. You are not going into the world as religious mathematicians. You are going into the world as storytellers, just as I was a storyteller. You are going to tell stories of how you are experiencing me, the risen one, working among you, giving you, re- 
giving you new life, repentance, and giving you forgiveness. And you shall go telling this story with your whole life when you go into work and whatever vocation you are in, it should tell the story of God making a new world through resurrection. The way you love people should tell that story. The way you budget your time and your schedule and your money should tell that story. The way you speak to others should tell that story. These are all witnesses of the experience of the resurrected one. But you're not just proclaiming your own story. You are also, Jesus is saying to his disciples, you are also on this earth to help others interpret their story in light of the fact that I am alive. And this is why witness is much more than just sharing about Jesus to, to people who don't believe. Witness is about proclaiming this reality to everyone around us. It is to look at our brothers and our sisters, to look at our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers, and to say, this thing, this thing you're telling me about, or this thing that I'm watching unfold in your life, this is Jesus at work. This is him alive, giving you grace and mercy for this moment. This is him inviting you into his new type of life. This disruption, this, this grace, this blessing, it is from King Jesus. We are to stand as witnesses inside the stories of the people around us. And because we have experienced the resurrection and we know Jesus is alive, we are able to help them see it unfolding in their life as well. This is the gift from Jesus. This is the commission, the bearing, the compass that he gives to us. And in this gift, we see the disciples move from confusion and fear into clarity and anticipation. Jesus promises them the spirit that would come and empower them for this new work. And they are to wait in Jerusalem for it. See, after the confusion and fear that that comes immediately in a watershed moment. They now have answered the question, or Jesus has answered it for them, how then shall I live? They are to live as witnesses and bringers of renewal in this new world. And I want you to notice the trajectory here for a moment. Uh, at the Karen, during the course of Lent, which is uh, the weeks leading up to Easter, we uh, we looked at the Gospel of Luke from Luke 19 to the end of the Gospel. And it, in Luke, or sorry, in Luke 9, it says Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem. He's doing it in love. He knows what's going to happen there, but he puts his face towards it and he takes his disciples on the road to Jerusalem. And along the road, Jesus actually teaches them how to do this, how to be witnesses. He teaches them through the story of the Good Samaritan how to be sacrificial neighbors. He teaches them through parables how to graciously disrupt people, the, the normalcy of their lives and help them see the reality of what God is doing. He teaches them as his disciples want to call down judgment on people who reject Jesus. He teaches his disciples how to be peacemakers instead. So all along the way to Jerusalem, he's He's teaching them how to be witnesses in all their life. And now 
in Jerusalem, this place of the cross and the resurrection, the place where the disciples thought the journey would end, it becomes the fulcrum of all of history. It kind of acts as this prism where, where Jesus, they're thinking they're going to end in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem actually disperses the light to the nations. Jesus sends his disciples back on the road, now not setting their face toward Jerusalem, but setting their face to the entire world. That's lovely. This is how the message of the good news comes to us. That there's a new world with new possibilities, possibilities of new life and forgiveness for everyone. And so, friends, this true north, this compass that Jesus graciously gives his disciples and eases their confusion and fear on how to live in this new world, this, this gift extends to you this morning. Whatever you're going through individually, whether it's a watershed moment or not, at the very least collectively as Trinity, you are going through a watershed moment. As our valley, we are going through a watershed moment. Tourism, jobs, globalization, individual freedom in many ways has paused for the sake of the common good and we are living in, in a new world that this pandemic is creating and will create. And it is our responsibility as followers of Jesus to ask, how now shall we live? How shall we live in whatever recession might come? How shall we live in under or unemployment? How shall we live in a society with more restriction? How shall we live if the future is unknown to us? How shall we live if the present even is unknown to us? Our resurrected King gives us grace and mercy through this commission that He gives His disciples. He gives us bearing in an uncharted world. First, we can be sure He is alive. His body walked on this earth again, alive after it was dead. He is no ghost. He is no disembodied spirit. He is alive. And I want you to think about this this morning and, and throughout the day and maybe this week. Think about all the ways he is currently showing you and reaffirming his life and activity in your life, in the life of your family, in the life of your household. How is he uh, kind of in the same way he came to the disciples and said, look at my hands and my feet and watch me eat. How is he doing that for you? And keep those things in front of you. Create habits that, that embody and cultivate thankfulness and faith and hope in a real living Jesus. And then secondly, he gives us a beautiful work. Our work as witnesses in this new world has not stopped because of COVID-19. One of the beautiful things that is happening in this pandemic is this tiny little virus is plowing the hard-packed soil in the hearts of the people around us. It's unearthing fear and anxiety and a longing for a better world that was always there and was unwilling to be said or spoken about. And this virus is, 
is cultivating people's hearts to be willing to say and speak about these things. And if we, as the church, stand and are present with them, go into their stories as witnesses, man, we are going to be able to stand in fertile soil and plant seeds of hope and gospel there. We are going to be able to stand and tell them there is, a, there is something you're longing for, and it is, it is Jesus, and it is His kingdom. There is reason to be fearful and anxious without Him, and yet He is the bringer of peace. There is a better world. So friends, we, we have this gift to be able to uh, stand in, in a newly plowed field to our friends and our neighbors and our families and to proclaim that new life and forgiveness is possible. This should be our bearing in this new world that the pandemic is creating. This should, this idea of witnessing to the reality of the living Jesus and a new made world that he is creating, this should direct our decision making. It should direct our action. It should direct whether we stay home or not. It should direct whether we go and be present with the hurting or not. There, there are things we need to take into account, but but we need to wrestle with how do we most effectively love and proclaim the kingdom of God in this moment. One of the, my favorite ways to think about this is through the metaphor of sight. Living in God's new world is really, uh, for me, it is the art of embracing and helping others embrace the ability to see reality. And, and I got this metaphor from one of my favorite authors. Her name is Annie Dillard. And she wrote a book called Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. And, and in one of those chapters, she illuminates this really well. She's describing the time in Western medicine when we first discovered a successful and, and very easily reproducible surgery to remove cataracts from people's eyes. And she explained, this is a, a quote. She says, for the newly sighted, vision is pure sensation unencumbered by meaning. I repeat that. For the newly sighted, vision is pure sensation unencumbered by meaning. So she goes on to explain stories of patients who are seeing for the first time and they are looking at the people around them and asking their doctor, they're like, what are the dark spots on that person? And the doctor explains to them light and shadow because they had no comprehension of that. They had no, that didn't have meaning for them. For them, their sight was just purely sensation. It was a dark spot and a light spot without meaning or context. He, she also explained uh, another patient who didn't have any meaning uh, when it come, came to depth perception. So they would take off their boot and this this man would throw his boot in front of him and he could see it for the first time in his life and he would take a step toward the boot but because he didn't know 
depth perception, he would reach down to grab it and it wouldn't be there. And then he would take another step and another step until he finally reached the boot because this man, for, for this man, vision, this new vision was pure sensation without meaning. And right now, this is exactly how society feels. We have new sight. We're like entering a, a world where uh, we're seeing things differently because of this virus. And it feels like just a bunch of sensation, a bunch of fear, a bunch of anxiety. And, and it doesn't have a lot of meaning. It doesn't have context. But Dillard goes on to say in this chapter that there are also those who are new to sight that actually see with greater imagination and beauty. And it's through their eyes that it re-enchants the vision of everybody else. So she explains how this little girl who, who once again was new to sight, she is ushered into a garden for the first time. And, and she says it's, she's greatly astonished and she can hardly speak and she stands speechless in front of a tree. And she only knows it's a tree because she closed her eyes and she felt the bark. That was her only way of understanding this is what this is. And she names the tree the tree with lights in it. I, I imagine this little girl standing. I'm from Virginia, so we have like these huge branching oak trees, you know, full of foliage. And I imagine her standing in front of one of these trees. And what we would see is just a tree full of leaves. And yet she sees the twinkling of lights in between the leaves. Her sight re-enchants everyone else's sight around her. The tree with lights in it. Friends, may this be us. May this be the witness that we have in this world. May we be ones who, we are also new to sight in this COVID-19 reality. We, we haven't been privileged with, uh, with foreknowledge of this. We are learning as well as the church, but may we be ones who stand in the world with a greater imagination and a greater ability to see the beauty and grace and mercy before us because our King is living May the gospel that shines on us give our lives bearing in this new world. May Jesus' commission to us give us a compass to direct our decision-making and action. May we stand in the stories and lives of our friends and coworkers and neighbors and help them see and understand, see with some meaning, help them wrestle through what shadows and light are, Help them wrestle through the, the newness of depth perception in this coronavirus world. But may we do more than that. May we also stand in their story and be like the little girl saying, that is the tree with lights in it. It's not just a normal tree with leaves. It is a tree with lights. May we help them see the grace and beauty and mystery and mercy all around them because Jesus lives. This is our true north in this uncharted world. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you so much that you have risen from the dead and you have given us life, that you have helped us see. 
and that you help us see in this world that's being created all around us that we don't, yeah, is hard to understand. Lord, help us help others see. Re-enchant our vision so that we can help them see the grace and mystery and beauty all around them. It is there. May we proclaim it to them. Repentance and forgiveness of sin is possible with you. Thank you from us who have received that. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.